Some parents homeschool, others don't live near a school, and others simply can't afford full-time Jewish day school. Each of these families needs a solution that offers their children serious Jewish learning. That's why I created Kita. Kita is serious online Torah learning at an affordable price. With Kita, middle school age children receive online lessons each week through their Google Classroom and then participate in weekly Zooms with other kids from around the world. Children can enroll in the Chumash and Avi plan and study Chumash Shemot and Avi Shmuel, or in the Mishnah and Gemara plan, where we're learning Mishnah Brachot and Gemara Elu Metziot. If you'd like to give your child a leg up in his or her Jewish learning, now is a great time to join Kita, as our second semester begins on January 2nd. To learn more about how Kita can help your children grow and thrive in Jewish learning, visit kita.org and fill out the form. That's Kita. K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. Another edition of RZ Weekly, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism and modern orthodoxy and all that stuff. My name is Ruvain Spalter. I'm here with Harabani Malibrovsky. Hello, Harabani Brovsky. How are you? Good. How are ah, you? Baruch Hashem. I'm great. Uh, we decided to do our bios. We haven't done them in a while. Uh, Mali teaches Machshavit oh. Yisrael and is an in-house social worker at Michlelet Mivaseret Yerushalayim, or otherwise known as AKA MMY. She has a private practice in Gush Etzion and supervises and teaches at Hebrew University for the Wurzweiler School of Social Work. We're also, also with us is Harab Johnny Solomon. Hello, Harab Johnny. Hello, Shalom. Johnny, welcome, welcome back from England. How was the coronation? I was there a week afterwards. The king is still king, and I'm going there in two days. Was it palpable? Did you, was there tomorrow. a feeling yeah. of coronation, or no, they couldn't, you couldn't tell? That they were all a little bit coronated so out. Coronated out. All right, Johnny <laughs> Solomon is a teacher. When I, well, Johnny, I think we haven't done this in a while. It says Matana Midrash Lindenbaum. Is that still accurate? I oh, still okay. He's so, an yeah. editor from Mosaic right. Press. He is the virtual rabbi, providing spiritual and halachic guidance to men, women, and couples around the world. And he travels for scholars and residents now on a on regular basis. Do you go to other places other than the UK or. Uh, or uh, have, uh, I was in Kiryat Gat a couple of hours ago. When is your When is your next yeah, When I is your next Johnny yes, visits America to. trip? That, 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 those are always fun. I'm waiting for the invitations. I'm literally I'm ready to come back anywhere. Remember, I don't know America from America, so wherever it is, it's exciting for me. So um, you know, okay, you know what? My name is Ruben Spalter. I direct educational programming program development at Herzog College for Herzog Global Herzog Olami. I help people prove their Jewish status at Ergun Rabbani Tzohar, and I teach Torah online to children around the world at kita.org. If you're looking for something for your kids for next year, registration is now open. We also, Baruch Hashem, today have to get with us a special guest. I'm happy to welcome Rabbi Alan Haber. Hello, Rabbi Alan. Hello. Okay. Welcome Hello, to our welcome. podcast. 
Rabbi Haber, we'll do your bio Thank first, you. and then we'll tell you why we'll tell you why, why he's with us. Rabbi Haber has been involved in Torah education for over thirty years. It's amazing because you, like you've been doing it since you're four. What? That's incredible. Wow. He currently serves <laughs> on the faculty of World Benekivitz Midrashet Torava Avodah. He's a licensed professional tour guide who provides educational tours all over Israel to both groups and families, and I could say firsthand, amazing ones. You know, like the ones with the Tanakh in hand, and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe that. That's him, call him. One of the founders of Michlethet Mibaseret Yushalayim, a.k.a. MMY. He served as director for 16 years. He's a freelance writer, editor and translator, member of the editorial staff at the current Talmud Babli, the Steinzel's Tanakh, and several editions of the new current Tanakh. Okay, but why do we have him on with us today? Rabbi Haber is a very popular teacher. Hey, before you get to that, can I just can I just interject and just say this is really a pleasure for me, uh, not just because I get to be on a podcast, which I haven't done very often, not just because I get to be on a podcast with three three friends of mine, <laughs> but with people all of whom I've worked with professionally at one point or another over the last. 20 years, so this is a lot wow. of fun. Wow, okay. Yeah, it's actually well, really you'll cool. let us know if it was fun yeah. at the end after we're done grilling you. Anyway, why? I listened to one of your <laughs> other podcasts. I won't say which one, but the guest there was also a friend of mine, and I found myself in the car trying to argue back, but nobody was responding, so this time at least I can maybe speak, so it's good. And thank you. Okay, good. Well, at least we have a li- one listen. Oh, no, I'm kidding. Anyway, so um, <laughs> uh, actually, I know that's not true because my uncle called me. He's like, I was listening to Spotify. I heard a sheer. And then, like, the sheer ended, and I didn't do anything, and on came RZ, and it was you. And, like, he, he actually, he, he enjoyed the political discourse about judicial reform. So it's getting out there. Bezat Hashem, la'at la'at. Anyway, Rabbi Haber, why are you here? I'll tell you why you're here. Rabbi Haber is an educator, and uh, he's been teaching for many, many years, but he recently revamped his website with a series of lectures, of video lectures, and I'm sure there's going to be much more um, written material and audio material, on a topic called Am Levadad. So uh, we thought it would be a great opportunity because of his bona fides in the religious Zionist world and his presence as an important educator. We thought, on the one hand, we want to hear more about it. What is this Am Levadad initiative that you've decided to launch? If you'll explain a little bit about it, uh, why you decided to launch it, what does it all mean, and uh, what you're looking to, to, I don't know, to spread to the world through the RZ uh, podcast listener. So, so tell us a little bit, what is Am Levadad and uh, why did you create it? Okay. Um, first of all, let's talk about what, what it is. The, the phrase itself comes from a pasuk in the book of Bamidbar. Uh, Bilam, the, uh, the uh, Gentile prophet who came to curse us and found his curses turned to blessings, one of the things he said about us is, Hein Am Levadad Yishkon Uvagoyim Lo Yitchashav. This is a nation that will constantly dwell in solitude never to be counted among the other nations. Uh, I think what got me to associate this uh, pasuk with a whole philosophy that has been percolating in my head for generations was a Friday night talk that I was privileged to hear many, about two decades ago probably, from, uh, from my distinguished Rosh Yeshiva, Rav Aaron Lichtenstein, Zecher Tzadik Lebracha. Um, honestly, I don't remember much of the Sicha because he made one comment about that pasuk and my mind started racing and uh, I was no longer really listening. Um, the phrase, uh, so I kind of coined uh, or gave that phrase a little bit of a meaning, but um, to me it describes the unique entity called Am Yisrael, which is not certainly not a religious group, it's not an ethnicity, it's not a, or the Jewish people if you want, it's not an ethnicity, it's not a race, it's not a religious group. Nation, 
is what the Torah calls us. We are a nation, but we're a nation that doesn't follow the same rules as other nations. We're a nation that can exist in exile, that doesn't, that has a land, but can exist without its land. We're really something that doesn't exist. There is no other group on earth that matches the definition of what Am Yisrael is. Um, and therefore, I loosely translate it as a singular nation, something that's completely unique. Um, and I have a philosophy that I've been working with for a lot of years. For many years, I taught a course when I was back in MMY, as Molly knows, called Am Levadad Yishkon. That was kind of my flagship. I taught a lot of things there, but uh, one of the students once commented that the course should really be named The World According to Rabbi Haper. I want to take that um, course. Kind you, of should, a, uh, you should do a podcast like that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, and I assume we'll get into this, but I, I, every time I speak about this, and I've been speaking about it for several decades, uh, there's nothing here on the one hand that's really new. Most of what I do when I teach this is simply read, read the Tanakh, read Psukim from the Torah. That's pretty much, that's pretty much all that I do. Um, and even the interpretations that I give to it, to a very large extent, are based, uh, are based on Rav Cook's uh, philosophy, in, in a broad sense at least. Uh, and yet for some reason, when I share these, this perspective with people, very often at least, they're blown away and they feel like it's a completely revolutionary idea, something that's totally unlike anything they've ever heard. Um, maybe we'll get into it a little more, and what I'd really like people to do is to, is to watch the videos, but, um, but uh, in, in a nutshell, what I think is that this, this entity called Am Yisrael is in fact uh, something that's unique. It was created for a reason. We, we exist in this world for a reason. And there's another phrase uh, that I think is very significant called Mamlechet Koanim. It's very timely right before Shavuot. Uh, before the giving of the Torah, we were told that Temtiyuli Mamlechet Koanim Begoi Kadosh, you shall be for me a kingdom of priests, a kingdom and a holy nation. We're not a religion; we're a nation, and we have a we have a, a role to play in this world. So I use the phrase Am Levadad to describe what we are, and I use the phrase Kingdom of Priests Mamlechet Koanim to describe what we must. Okay, so I'll ask the question: I've Why is it important? I mean, like you said, it's something that people know. So okay, it's very nice. It's a sheer. Why is it so important that you created a whole video series and you have you have a whole you have a whole I don't know like series of lectures on it? You gave a whole course on it. I'm sure people could could take your course or hopefully they'll be they'll be learning about your course. Like you know what motivates you? I mean, you're obviously very very motivated about it to create this whole initiative. This Amle that you call Amle Vadad. Why is it so important? I think this is extremely important because. Um, because of the fact that people don't, we haven't been conditioned to think this way. Maybe I have to get into why is it? Why is it that something that I think is so fundamental and so basic, something that people find so revolutionary? Because the Torah wanted us to be a nation. The Torah was meant to be the constitution for a nation. And it, the laws of the Torah govern every aspect, not only of individual and communal life, but of national life. The Torah tells us how to run a government and an army and a police force and, and a court system and all that. Uh, why is this something that we haven't, that, that's, that's strange when people hear it? Because we've been in exile for thousands of years. Um, that's changed, Baruch Hashem. And it's changed to a certain extent in the last 150 years and to another extent in the last 75 years since we have an independent sovereign state again. But to a really large extent, it's changed only in the last maybe 30 to 40 years. Uh, the first years of Israel's existence, we were still fighting for survival, the and Israel was kind of still like really in its infancy. Um, maybe that we're still maybe we've reached moved from infancy to childhood. But I think over the last few decades, uh, 
the vast majority, not the vast majority yet, but the majority of Jews in the world live in, in, this, in the state of Israel, and all predictions are that that's going to turn in the next few decades from a majority into a vast majority. And I think, and Israel is no longer uh, uh, an infant state, it's now you know, a state that's maturing, and we have a lot that we have to think about as a people. We have to change the way that we're thinking about things. So I used to teach this course. I started writing a book about this maybe 20 years ago, um, and I never managed to get the book out, although it is something I hope to do in the future. And, and kind of the idea of putting out this video series was kind of a step in that direction. I have one video that's 20 minutes long, or 21 actually, which is basically a summary of the whole thing. And then I have a series of eight other videos that are about eight minutes long, and each video is on my website with a, an annotated transcript, so you can listen to it, you can watch it, you can read it, you can watch and read it at the same time. And uh, web, websites, you know, are by nature dynamic, so I'm, I hope to play with it. I'm interested in people's feedback and I'm kind of hoping that this can create a, an opportunity to get the discussion out to a wider audience and maybe from that we'll even come a book. We'll see. Johnny. Okay, so firstly, thank you so much for what you've described and thank you so much, Rabbi Haber, for what you produced. Uh, each of us had a look on your website. We've watched at least some, if not all, of the videos. And I'll tell you what I think they are. Perhaps I, I've got them right, perhaps not. And then also emphasize... Uh, what I think is unique, both about your voice and your presentation, and uh, the need, and perhaps you can then respond. So, you know, you know uh, uh, Ruby just before said, surely these ideas are unknown. Let's not forget the Ramchal, right to the beginning of his Mesilat Sharim, that sometimes there are things we know but need to be elucidated a little bit clearer. And what you have here is basically TED-like talks in clear, thoughtful, engaging, modular structure exploring ideas step by step for listeners and viewers to understand the nuance of what it means to be part of the Jewish people, what it means to be part of the Jewish nation. And unlike much which is available on YouTube, you're not actually lecturing, you're a teacher par excellence. And so you're, you're speaking as a very, very thoughtful educator, making sure to cover all the right points in the right order, in the right language that people feel that you're talking to them. So. These are videos that could be heard by somebody who is 13 to somebody who is, you know, uh, 99 or older, please God. But this is, these are videos which are really ageless. Um, but then it occurred to me, so, so why am I so taken by them? And I think it's as follows. Your theme isn't about ritual per se, although you re reference on occasion in ritual. And it's not about religion. In fact, you make it very, very clear that Judaism isn't just a religion. It's about Jewish peoplehood, about the Jewish nation. And oftentimes when people talk about uh, nationhood and peoplehood and nationalism, people think of it in a certain way, especially refracted through being um, uh, placed in Israel. A lot of people have spoken about being part of the Jewish nation have done so from a diaspora perspective, at least from English, sorry, in English. So I see you as being a bit like an Aryeh Kaplan, a bit like a Rabbi Sachs, but you're talking about Jewish peoplehood from the land of Israel with a deep knowledge and you reference some of the places you visit as a tour guide, right, of the land of Israel. But you're speaking about peoplehood from here with pride and taking away, I think, unfortunately, a stigma that's developed about what is peoplehood. Either people have diluted it or they've confused it. And you're trying to say, hey, guys, there is a conversation that Judaism's had about what it is. And I want to bring you as part of this conversation, walk you through it, so you understand who you are and what you belong to. Um, and so you recognize the role of Israel uh, and God 
and the rest of the Jewish people in terms of your life. So I just want to understand if have I got that right? And perhaps uh, you want to give a kind of spin on how you being here talking about peoplehood is maybe a response to the way others have spoken. Wait, wait, I got to stop. I got to stop you, Johnny. From elsewhere what do you mean in the world? By, you use the term from people. Place. That's a very loaded term. I yeah. mean, I know that it's, you know, it was it was popular maybe. I don't know what it means because that's not the word that Rabbi Haber used. He said nation. That's what he said. So, so what it, True. it's interesting. So I, I'm, use, I'm using the word which people often use exactly my point is that rabbi heber is using the word nation and i think in many ways he's giving a common a commentary about what it means to be part of the jewish nation today from the perspective of being uh, an israeli citizen and a proud uh, you know uh, member of the jewish people where israel so, is Danny, i'll tell you why i'm so pushing back i'm curious to i think the thoughts. word peoplehood came as a response to the idea that i'm not israeli i'm not a member of the of, of the nation of Israel, so I want to belong, so I'm a member of the Jewish people. And I think, to, I'm Rabbi Haber, you can tell me mm -hmm. if you think you're right, right, or if I'm right or not. I think the point of Am Levadat, of using the word nation, the way the Torah describes it, is to push back about, uh, uh, to that, to say, no, even though you might not be a citizen of the state of Israel, you are a member of the Jewish nation. And it might not be the way you think of nation because you happen not to have a passport in Israel, but instead you're a member of this Am. And, and it, it comes with privileges, but it also comes with responsibilities as well. So I'm curious, I'm going to Molly in a second, I'm curious uh, at your response to that issue because I think that's, like you, Johnny used a phrase, I actually wrote it down, so you understand who you are and what you belong to. And, and that's a very powerful, powerful mm -hmm. thing that I think I totally agree with what my behavior is trying to get at, but I'm curious if, if that's what you mean and what, what you're trying to, to teach to, to your students and in, in that question of what do you belong to? Who are you and what do you belong to? Okay, so I'll, I'll tell you, it's very interesting hearing that. First of all, it's very interesting for me to hear what I've said kind of reflected back, so I appreciate that. Right. I'll tell you that I think you're both right in the following way. Um, yes, my message is undeniably and unapologetically and very solidly religious Zionist message. Um, my point is that we need to be a people, a nation, a nation. Um, and I think, I, I never thought about it, Johnny, but the, or, or Ruven, the idea that peoplehood may have been a term that was invented by diaspora Jews to kind of explain what they are. Um, I don't live in Israel, so I'm not part of the nation, but I am part of the Jewish people. Uh, the way I'm using the term Am Levadad, though, that's exactly the point. In other words, we were meant to be a nation. And there was a point in history when we were a nation like all others. We lived in the land of Israel. We had a king. We had an army. We had a territory. We had a language. We had a culture. We had all the standard features of nationhood. And then we went into exile. And the rules of human history state that when a nation goes into exile, they kind of disappear. I mean, that's, that's people don't necessarily know this historically, but the Assyrians and the Babylonians who exiled us originally, they did so as part of a systematic policy that they had. That's how they maintained their empires. When the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonians after them went through the Middle East, that's exactly what they did. They had a, a policy of forced population transfer and dispersion so that basically their, their conquered peoples would cease to exist as peoples and they'd become one big thing. And that's what happened. That's why there's no Philistines anymore, there's no Edomites anymore, there's no Moabites, there's no Arameans. They're all, that, that's what happened to all of them. But there was one nation that that didn't work for. 
and that's Am Yisrael. And not just the uh, Assyrians and the Babylonians, but a long exile that's spanned now thousands of years, which has taken us to every inhabited corner of the planet, and we and we've survived as a as an entity. So if those diaspora Jews are saying, well, I don't live in the nation of Israel, but I'm still part of the Jewish people, they're absolutely right. That's exactly what Am Levadad is. At the same time, though, the diaspora existence, the exile, and I think we have to say this unapologetically, is exactly that. It's an exile. It's, it was necessary because we had to survive, and the exile has, other, uh, has, has, has taught us many things along the way. But the end goal is to come back and be and be part of an actual nation again. And we're living at the point of history where that's happening now. And that's why I think it's important. I think it's important that we say that to the Jews in the diaspora. This does not mean, and I say this very clearly in the videos, I'm not one of those people who says every every diaspora Jew should get on a plane tomorrow and, and, and make Aliyah. I understand, having done it myself, I understand how difficult and how complicated it is. Um, and the Torah, the Halacha recognizes that as well. At the same time, uh, those who are in the diaspora have to understand that Medinat Yisrael is the center of the Jewish people. I think it has to be the top priority, a top priority at least, for, for all diaspora communities. And every Jew has to have in their head that that's, that's, that's where we ultimately belong. So I think that's one point that, I, uh, that, I, that I'm trying to, to get across here. I think, though, that there's another thing as well, and that is the uh, another term that really fits into this is the chosen people idea. Or the idea of Mamlechet Kohanim. If, if we're the priests, we're, we're meant to be leaders. We're meant to be... Um, we're meant to be uh, leading the rest of the world the towards use, yeah. adopting the principles of ethical monotheism and moving the world towards redemption. And I find, uh, particularly nowadays, among a lot of my, uh, you know, um, a lot of my teenage students, particularly, there's a lot of discomfort at that idea. There's a lot of a discomfort with the concept that we're here with a message, we seem to know something that other people don't, and we're here to, to spread the truth to the world. A lot of Jews today are very uncomfortable with that, and I'd like, I'd like people to get comfortable with it. Uh, that doesn't mean we are supremacists, and it uh, doesn't mean we're trying Jewish to force anything on anybody. People are uncomfortable with that in general. A lot of people are uncomfortable with that. Okay. But it is what the Torah says, and anyone who opens uh, a Sidur and says, uh, here again, we're headed into Shavuot, so if in a few days we're going to say, Atav amim, you have chosen us from among all the nations, that is what we believe, and I, I, I think we can say it unapologetically. And that's part of what I want to get across. We're chosen for responsibility, not for privilege, and our message is good for the world. Our message has been heard throughout history tremendously. More than half of the world now believes in the God of Abraham uh, and the principles of ethical monotheism, which the Torah is, is meant to project to the world, and it's our job to, to model that, and uh, I want people to, to embrace that. Okay, we're going to turn to Molly. You've been so patient. I thank you for your patience. Okay, I know. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure to listening. Um, okay, so again, yeah, what I was going to ask about our ad was what you just mentioned, which is the Orla Goyim piece of your thesis, right? And I have to say, I also read your, um, you know, I read the transcript. Instead of watching the video, I read the transcript. Um, uh, you say, I, by the way, that's one of the reasons I did it that way. Some people like to listen, some people like mm -hmm. to read. It's also going to be soon on podcast platforms, by the way, so you can listen without watching. I'm trying to give all the options out there. Yeah, it's so, great. Uh, yeah, so that was terrific. And the transcripts also have additional information, like uh, things that I didn't put in the video. It's like like additional uh, annotations there wow, and deeper deeper discussions. It says amazing. dive deeper on them. That's really cool. Right, so for me, as I mentioned before, I feel like I've been hearing Rabbi Haber talk about this for 20 years because I had you the have. privilege <laughs> of... Um, what did you, you say? You have. I said you have. I have, exactly. I've had the privilege of teaching MMY and it's having many extensive conversations with Rabbi Haber about these issues. 
Um, and I really do think that the um, it's like you've hit the nail on the head of the things that are the most important to convey. Um, and I, I was I was just thinking about that. Like, I, I, and again, I just want to add the piece, which I think is like the the final summarizing piece of all this is is that the you said it in, a, in one sentence which I think was beautiful and I think you explained it also very very well in the video which is the chosenness is not a privilege it's a responsibility right we are chosen in order because we have a responsibility to send a message and if we don't do that well we get punished right if we don't live and that message is very clear you're calling it ethical monotheism which is what I call it also in my when I teach it you know I think it's a great way to and again you go into what is monotheism and all of that but it's the ethical part right it's the reason it's it's God and ethics are inextricably connected I remember once I asked Rev. David Nativ he was teaching like Yeshayahu and it was like, I don't understand, in, in this part, Iperic, is the sin of Odazara or is the sin like being mean one to the other? Is it And he said, it's all the same thing. If yes. You, right? Exactly. That's right. So if, if you believe, God, God is a God of ethics, and therefore if you serve him, you must be ethical. Um, across the board, if and if at least this is the Torah review, right? And the possibility of being unethical is because you do not believe that that, that there is a God. Late din velate dayat, right? That's the Torah's kind of framework for it. Um, there are obviously, I'm not again, I'm not not taking away from the possibility that there are people who believe in ethics and don't believe in God. Rav Cook also addressed that. If you're going to talk about Rav Cook, um, and that's perfectly possible. But I think for sure your Amlavadad theory, which I agree with. I think phrases it differently. I think it says because of God there is ethics and therefore your job is to serve mm -hmm. God and your mission is to spread those ethics through the world and it's it's also it's like again like talking to you just puts my head back at being an MMOI and like I make this picture on the board all the time which is like I make two mountains and then I make like uh, the Beit HaMikdash on the top and I say to the students like like Yeshayahu Perak Bet like what are we here for? Like, you all say Mashiach and Geula, and you want it. Why? And they don't know. And that's kind of, I guess, the question I want to ask you, because it's so obvious to me. I'm like, it's so obvious. Which means we are supposed to be, you know, the shining city on a hill. And there's a reason that right. phrase came into How many Jews, I mentioned this in the video, how many Orthodox Jews who sing that Pasuk realize that it, when it when the Torah goes forth from Yerushalayim, it's not going to Am Yisrael, it's going to the entire world. It's, it's absolutely clear. That was a great that point. That was so that. great. It was really great. It was like, yeah. I, I hadn't heard it's that like, part. And I was it's like, so whoa. Obvious, it's all Yishayahu Perkbet, right? It's this whole idea that like we need to perfect ourselves so that the world can learn from us. We need to serve God so that the world can learn that service of God is possible in all ways. And that ethics is, lies at the heart of that, and a just society lies at the heart of that. So I guess my question for you, because I so identify with what you're saying, um, is, and I think Johnny kind of raised it, which is, it's like, to me, this is like the essence of Judaism. It's like obvious that this is the purpose, our purpose. Why don't people know it? Why is it that, because, I, I, you know, when Johnny was talking, I wrote down the words like purpose and meaning, right? It's like, it gives a, it's not just a framework to like being Jewish. It's a framework for your life. It's both. What, like, how can you be a Jew who keeps halacha and not understand how that's part of the bigger picture? And maybe that's part of the problem because people don't understand how everything fits into a larger framework. They become disillusioned with the, which is again rough cook, with the small details, and they don't understand how everything fits into a larger um, 
conceptualization. So I guess that's like a statement, but it's also a question to you, which is like, how did we get lost in the trees? Do you think, do you think that that's true that we're lost in the trees? We don't, you know, we don't see the forest for the trees. How did that happen? Is that just, you know, a galut thing because, you know, we got focused on the small details. Again, Rav Cook, small details versus big picture. Do you think it's something in our current educational system? And like, what, you know, like, I just, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. that. Is that why you're making this so that you want to kind of correct that? Or do you have other thoughts about that? All good questions, which Rabbi Haber will answer after these messages. Stay with us. Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ila, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Okay, we're back. Do we need to repeat the questions? Or, Rav Haber, you're good. You can answer them straight up. Molly's like, uh, uh, yeah. I'll try okay. to answer them. If I f- miss, miss something, you can uh, please, please uh, you know, comment on that. But um, first of all, Molly, I agree completely with, um, with your frustration that why isn't this something that everybody uh, understands? I think the reason Rav Cook actually said this also, and for example, B'Malach Ha'ideot B'Yisrael, where he talks about this, how... During the long centuries of exile, we couldn't focus on a lot of these things. We had to focus on survival, physical survival, and uh, ident- survival from an identity perspective, and spiritual survival. Uh, and therefore, we went into survival mode. And it's been a couple of thousand years, and it's, it's hard to break that. Uh, but there's also something else that's going on, and that is that um, maybe as a reaction to that, and as a reaction to modernity in general, so we have the liberal branches of Judaism that have sort of come up, whether we're talking here, and, and liberal branches can mean several different things. It can mean a totally secular Jews like the uh, Chiloni community here in Israel. It can mean non-Orthodox denominations like uh, conservative reform, etc. And it can mean perhaps uh, the liberal branches of orthodoxy as well. But I think something that unite, and, and I do not mean to put those groups in the same category, there, there are significant differences between each of them, but one thing that unites all of those groups is that they've raised the banner to one degree or another of what you call ben adam makom, or of ethics, or of uh, what the Western world today calls liberal values, humanistic values, etc. And... Um, you mean ben adam l'chavero? They've done that in... Yes. Yeah, but I don't... Yes. Okay, you can put it under the rubric of Ben Adam yes. Now that's been in reaction to what they view as an over, con, you know, overly concerned, you know, uh, overly uh, high, high concern with ritual among the Orthodox community, uh, and in turn, there's been a reaction against that. In other words, as soon as you start talking about uh, humanistic values or anything of that nature, uh, 
many people in the Orthodox community have kind of a knee-jerk reaction that, you know, we have to be careful because obviously no one's going to say that ben adam is not important. And no one's going to say that we don't believe in the inherent value of each human being and human dignity and all that. But when you start to raise that banner and start to talk about how those are Torah values, so uh, a lot of people in the Orthodox community get very suspicious. And I understand why that happens. Um, and I'm glad you quoted David Nativ. I've been saying the, the same thing as well. I agree completely. You know, there are those who say, um, I was reading something recently, you know, uh, a person from a liberal perspective, not Orthodox, who talks about how, you know, m- morality is the most important thing. Just read Isaiah. You know, Yeshayahu talks about the, the widow and the poor and social justice and all of that. And he's right. Of course, there are other places where Yeshayahu talks about idolatry, and he doesn't mention that. And to him, it's clear that 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 he said God's important and, and ritual's important, but ethics is more important. And I don't think that's what the Torah says. The Torah certainly doesn't say the opposite either, though. And and I think the real answer is that they're one and the same, and that is the Torah's message. I think it's obvious, maybe, maybe it's not, but it certainly should be obvious to everybody that you can't be a religious person if you're not an ethical person. But I also think it's correct to say that you can't really be an ethical person if you're not a religious person. You're kind of getting off the topic. What happened? Why is it not obvious? Why, why do you feel it's so important? To well, let me just finish. I just, I just need to add one sentence to that because I think it's important. When I say you can't be... I, I, you, a person can definitely be ethical if they're not religious. There are ethical atheists or there are atheists who live ethically. That is 100% true. But I haven't heard a convincing argument for atheist ethics. You know, it's the idea that not just I live ethically, but I can make that demand of you and I can make a universal demand that all people have to be ethical. I think that can only come from, from monotheism. So again, why? So to get back to you, Ruvain, to the question, why do I think that idea has been lost? Because for such a very long time, uh, we were in survival mode. The, the Gentiles around us were at best neutral and usually antagonistic. Uh, they were the enemy. They were the, those who ruled over us. We had, to, we had to learn how to survive in their societies and we had to protect ourselves. Either, either they were trying to kill us or they were persecuting us in some way or in the past few hundred years maybe they opened their arms and offered us equal rights and then suddenly we were, we were at risk of losing our identity and, that, and, and therefore we had to distance ourselves from them. Uh, all of that is correct, and we, and we have to continue to do those things. But part of what I want to try to do here, if you, if you, if you broaden the conversation, okay, if we acknowledge that um, liberal humanistic values are part of the Torah's message, and religious values are part of the Torah's message, then perhaps we can broaden the conversation here. I can, if, if I look at uh, even, even non-Orthodox groups with whom, with whom we disagree and those boundaries cannot be blurred and halakha for us is a, is a red line that cannot be crossed, but if we, if we think of the conversation in different ways and we say that it's, those people unfortunately don't accept halakha, but the values that they're promoting are Torah values and they're pointing to parts of the Torah that maybe we haven't fully paid atten- enough attention to. If we can hear that from them, first of all, our, our own Torah observance will be enhanced by it and enriched. And if we're able to hear from them the, the rebuke that maybe we haven't been fully paying attention to certain parts of the Torah, maybe our message to them can be heard as well. And maybe that's a, a way to make you know, some comments. Okay, so I have some questions. Just, Johnny, what was the term that he used, Ellen, uh, what... Uh, 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 Ethical, ethical monotheism. monotheism. Ethical monotheism. Yeah. So, the first, I have a few comments. Uh, like, I, you know, I'm listening and thinking. So, I, I find it interesting. You obviously acknowledge this. 
you create a term called the Am Levadad, but it's it's really it's not what the pasuk means, as you you yourself said. It, the pasuk says I, I think it's, it's not it's Hein Am Levadad Yishkon. So you're so it's it, meaning the Torah says that you translated they are a nation that dwells alone, right? Levadad. But what does it mean? Dwells alone. It also the, says Levadad is a is an adverb. It modifies Yishkon. Him Am Levadad Yishkon. They're not. It's not an adjective. They're not an Am Levadad. No, but Ruby, I'm going to jump in and defend our behavior here. The idea that they are a nation that dwells apart means that they are a unique and singular nation. The second half of the pasuk is lo bagoyim yitchashav. They can't be counted among the other nations. Okay, they don't consider, me, me, they're not considered me, I, among all, other nations. But again, I, for sure, I'm not translating the pasuk. It's a buzzword that I've kind that's of fine. created. To I, I just think it's, but that's interesting because then to me, but that idea is also uh, Then to me, right, the idea of an am that's different than all the other. Okay, nations. and that's all Sorry. good. But then again, you jump then to the idea of ethical monotheism and uh, connect that immediately to inward versus outward. And to me, it's really, it's, it's interesting to me because I, I find myself more than a little bit confused. Because on the one hand, one could say, they have to live by their own precepts and their own laws. And obviously, I don't, I, I don't agree with the ethics. Of course, you have to agree with the ethics. You know, like, you know, it's clear in the, in the VM that the, we were, the exhortations to live as a moral people and to take care of the, the widow and the orphan and not to, not to take advantage of downtrodden people. Like, that's basically the bread and bread of Nuvua. But there's, I see nowhere that the Torah says, okay, and therefore, you know, you're going to then promote, your, promote that word, word to the world. You promote your values to yourself. And that will be the, I'll quote, uh, uh, my, one of my favorite speeches ever in the history of presidential speeches, uh, I think it was Dukakis, Michael Dukakis in the 1984 presidential speech, he called it a city, shining city on a hill. Right? You're the shining city on the hill. Now, not that you have to do anything to promote it, but you live alone a separate life that people look at that and say, I want that. And that's something I think that I'm not entirely sure which one, which one is is is. Uh, dominant in my mind, Me, you know. I, I think that's uh, that's uh, something that I, I have to continue to think about. And I think all of us should think about. And I'm not sure it has anything to do with ethical monotheism. I think it has to do. It has everything to do with what? it. What? It has everything to do with it. I, and I, I'll tell okay. you. Okay. What what's what's that? That's fine. You can totally disagree. That's why. That's why we're talking. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you how I can agree with you, and you can square the circle. Go for it. I have more to say. Okay. Okay. Uh, when I use the term ethical monotheism. I am not saying, and this is what some what some uh, liberal Jewish thinkers have, have tried to say where I think they've gone too far, is that ethical monotheism is the essence of, of the Torah. That's not what mm-hmm. I'm saying. I think ethical monotheism is, the, is this essential message that we want to bring to the world. Or to put it differently, uh, the, the term Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noach, which as I mentioned in one of my videos, by the way, is many more than seven laws, it's seven categories, but it's the Torah's dem- universal demands of humanity. I think the term ethical monotheism is a pretty good description of the message of the Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noach. It is not a description of the entirety of the 613 mitzvot for Am Yisrael. We have to be Mamlechet Kohanim. Now a Kohen... I think is I think that's a, that's an instructive phrase as well. A kingdom of priests. The Torah defines for us what a, what a kohen is. Uh, a kohen is a spiritual leader and an intermediary. He brings the people to God. 
You want to bring a sacrifice, you have to give it to the Kohen, and he puts it on the Mizbeach. He bring, he's the one who God sends to convey his, his blessings, right? Birkat Kohanim. He's the intermediary between the people and God. That's our role. And Kohanim have to live on a different standard. They have, to, they have rules that apply only to them. However, there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a twist here. I mentioned this not so much in the video, but in one of my dive deeper sections where in the, in the transcript of the video. If you look at the model of Kohanim, right? The Torah created, the Torah tells us we're Kohanim, we're the priests to bring God's message to the world. And then he took a subset of us and made them the priests for Am Yisrael. And, and the priests and Shevet Levi in general don't have territory. They're the only tribe that doesn't have land. They, they live they live among the other, and they're not farmers. They don't work the land like everyone else does, right? And that's exactly a beautiful model for what the Jewish people has been throughout throughout the centuries yeah, but of that exile, was right? We didn't have our own country. Exactly. So, but why? One could argue, and I, I may raise this point in one of my videos, if the whole point is for us to be Kohanim, then the diaspora existence perhaps could be the ideal. You have Jewish, and that's what's happened for the past few thousand years. You've had Jewish communities in every country, and we're there kind of to, to have our influence, and our influence has been heard. Our messages have been getting out to the world. And why is that not the ideal? And the answer, Ruvain, is exactly what you said with the, with the nation on the hill. The Torah didn't say, attempt to you, Kohanim. You shall be priests. It said, a kingdom of priests. We were meant to model what it means to be a holy nation, not just individuals. And therefore, you're right. We're meant to influence the world, but not, that, that does not mean that we're meant to each one of us go out and start Chabad houses in every country, spreading the messages to the rest of the world. There may be a place for that, but what we're really meant to be is a, is a nation that leads by example. I mentioned also in the video, I think it's not insignificant that God put us in the middle of the world, right? The land of Israel is geographically, I know the world is round, but if you look at a map of human civilization, the land of Israel, again, I'm a tour guide, I think in these terms, we're Europe, Asia, Africa, we're right in the middle, and certainly in ancient times, and uh, I think that's part of the idea. So I think I don't think there's a contradiction there. We, we live particularistic lives with a certain degree of isolation. It's... It sounds so Salavichiki and learning to live with a dialectic. It really does. But anyway, okay, I have a couple more questions. But I think it's cookie-in because it's I don't see it cool. as a dialectic. Yeah. In the end, it's all, it all fits very, in beautiful harmony. I don't, feel, I don't feel, once you see it that way, there's no tension. I have a couple more questions. Okay, so you say, and uh, not you say, I'm like attacking you. I, I agree, but okay, you say that, uh, that part of the reason that, oh, I'll put it this way, that Jewish people didn't really focus on this because they were so focused inward on survival, okay? And, and now we have to focus, now that we're a nation, especially we're established, we can now focus on externalities. So one could hear from that, that, that um, much of halacha, if halacha is about survival in galut, then for much of our, then for some, some subset of it is really not important or not relevant to the message that we're trying to promote in Eretz Yisrael. I mean, the halacha developed as a response to the needs of the communities in the Gola. But who's to say that that halacha has to persist and we just have, we have to keep, keep keeping all the do's and don'ts and whatever that was so important in the Gola now that we're back here? What would you respond to that? 
I would respond that that's, I mean, there are people who say things like that, but I think as, as believing Jews, we don't believe that halacha was created in the exile or for the exile. First of all, even historically, it's not true. We have the earliest written sources of, of, of Torah Shabbat Peretz, the Mishnah, and the Tanaid and material that was written here in the land of Israel, some of it during Malchut Beit No, Shabbat. but much of its but, development, the vast majority of its development of was course, developing... Of course, the concept of halacha... I, I, I have a whole video about halacha as part of my series also, and I think halacha is an essential piece of this. I don't think that the concept of halacha is designed for exile. I think halacha is the essential method in which we're meant to bring God's uh, word and, and ideas into action. However, it is certainly true that much of the decisions of halacha were developed in exile and that we are now dealing with... One could argue with exilic hal- values and needs... So that's a discussion that has to happen within halacha. It is happening in halacha. This debate has been going on already for, for decades. And halachic authorities have grappled and have to continue grappling with it. And you're right. We have to take, you know, we have to take, uh, and maybe that's part of the process, is redeeming the Torah itself from exile. That the, but that, that's not about moving away from halacha. That's about development within halacha. And halacha acknowledging the new reality that we're back home and we're, and we're building a nation again. I think also, by the way, this is part of the debate between the religions. Uh, maybe this is a significant, maybe this is the essence even, of the debate between the religious Zionist community in Israel and the Haredi community in Israel, which is not the same as the debate, let's say, between the modern Orthodox and the, uh, whatever they're called, Haredi community, let's say, in Chutzlar. It's The conditions are completely different. But that's, that's really a lot of what the debate is about. The Haredi community in Israel is still in survival mode. The, their position is that the fundamental challenges of exile haven't changed, and we have to continue with all of the protect. Maybe even higher level. Maybe we have to make the walls even higher. We have to continue with all the protective mechanisms, whose goal is simply to make sure that we pass this on to the next generation. And I, I, my message, which I think is fundamentally a religious Zionist message, is that the time has come. Uh, not that we should throw it all out. The, the challenges that the Haredi community identifies are all real. And we have to be concerned with them. But we don't have the opportunity any longer to just wrap ourselves in our own walls and just try to preserve our community for the next generation. History is calling upon us to rise up to the challenge and to take the steps towards bringing the redemption to a conclusion, which means, yes, it means redeeming the halakha, perhaps. And that, uh, maybe I shouldn't use a phrase like that because it sounds too dramatic and too, um, you know, like I'm trying to create an upheaval. I'm not at all. I think we have to be very careful that everything has to be done within the halakha and those boundaries between halakhic and non-halakhic approaches to Judaism cannot be blurred. At the same time, though, we, we have to have the self-confidence now to listen to those who are coming with other ideas and to recognize that those ideas, like I said before, are part of the Torah and to incorporate them in as the halakha develops to embrace this new reality. And by the way, that's what halakha has done throughout history. Halakha has always adopted to new realities. And I mentioned this in one of my videos also. <laughs> halakha is not just adapting to, adapting to this progress. Halakha is a lot of what's been driving this progress. That's, a reason, that's the reason for the halakha. Uh, is to drive human moral, and again, this is, um, uh, you know, I agree, I, I grew up with Rav Salvechik, but I've been finding myself moving more and more towards Rav Cook's thinking the more I live in Israel, um, that the Torah was brought to the world to help push the world towards moral and spiritual uh, uh, perfection, and as the, as the halakha succeeds in that, it has to then adapt to its own progress and make sure that it's not falling behind. Uh, and that's, a, that's an ongoing process. Um, just in response to that, 
just for our listeners, although as you say, Rabbi Haber, a number of people have been thinking about that topic. I'm going to make a book recommendation. Anybody who hasn't yet read it, uh, the late Rabbi Ronen Neuwirth wrote a fascinating book titled The Narrow Halachic Bridge, A Vision for Jewish Law in the Postmodern Age, which actually is specifically dealing with the topic that Rabbi Haber just mentioned. You can agree with some of his ideas. You cannot, but it's a very thoughtful book. And just uh, as someone who's interested in this particular topic, I'm just going to give a shout out to that. That's point number one. But I'd now also like to ask Rabbi Haber the following. Okay, so we've touched on all these very, very interesting uh, issues, really important issues wrestle with questions relating to uh, the identity of the, uh, the Jewish nation and, and uh, how we're rediscovering our nation state and what it means to be a Mamlecha Kohanim. So if I'm a listener to your videos, and when I did, I kind of, I both absorbed so much interesting uh, ideas, but also had questions on them. Imagine I've watched all your videos, which I believe are for free, right? They're now, they're available online for free. Once I listen to the videos and I have all my questions, what do I do next? So where do I turn to? Do I call you and I say, help me? Uh, you know, what do I do? How you do call him and say, will you come to my shul and speak to my entire community about this? That's what you do. I'd be happy to. <laughs> um, but first of all, uh, Johnny, you haven't watched all the videos because the last two are still in production. Um, and oh, last three. He's good. He's good. Three. He knows how to but keep us waiting. The reason I'm bringing that up is that the last video sort of addresses that point. The last video, which which isn't ready yet, is called Conclusions. Where do we go from here? Um, so maybe okay, I'll just great. briefly, uh, in bullet point form, uh, tell you what I said there. First of all, to the extent that... Spoiler alert. What, what, Spoiler where alert. am I? Okay. I, I watched all the videos and I'm inspired. What do I do now? Now, first of all, if there has if there is a paradigm shift here, then then let's embrace that paradigm shift, and let's start thinking differently. Um, for those Jews in the diaspora, I think the centrality of the state of Israel, uh, in, as the center of the Jewish world must be a primary thing. That does not mean the diaspora communities should be shutting down tomorrow. They can't. And of course, therefore, we have to, maybe it's not of course, but we have to continue developing and strengthening those communities and at the same time seeing Israel and Aliyah as a primary uh, focus. Um, and for Jews, both in diaspora and in Israel, I think our internal discourse needs to be broadened and we need to start thinking in these terms and, and talking about the types of issues that we've raised here within that context. Um, and uh, yes, I'd love for a conversation to develop around my videos and I'm very interested in people contacting me directly and uh, in various online forums and I'd like to I'd like to really get the conversation moving. That's what I'd like to do. Great. Nali? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to be here by Haber's cheerleader because I just uh, thank you. I think it's all wonderful and so important. Um, and just add a few thoughts that I had. First of all, th this one is like a tiny, I guess it's a, a question quibble or or maybe not. You'll tell me whether. But I, I like the distinction we've made here between peoplehood and nationhood, um, in the sense that meaning again, and this is something you know it's a, it's a larger conversation that's being had in the religious Zionist community in general, and that I've had on a personal level. Uh, the place of diaspora Jewry, and I think we can go even farther than what you're what, what you're saying because I think we can say if we really believe that there's a um, you know the dialectic that was you know r troubling Ruby but which I think you're right is a um, is is not a dialect it's it's a healthy um, complex you know develop development like you live in the land and then you spread your message from the land out to the world right and you had all those years when we were spreading the message out without the land now we have the land um but maybe what we can say is that those who are in the diaspora 
can keep doing the job of the of 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 the spreading the, the ideas in the diaspora, right? You, you understand what I'm saying? Because I, I, I know that there are a lot of diaspora Jews who don't agree or like the message. No, the only reason you shouldn't make Aliyah is because, you know, like, it's hard for you. But ideally, you should live here. Maybe we can give people room. Again, I'm really on your side. I believe the center of... I, I, I think everybody should believe, actually, that the center of the Jewish world is in Israel. I really do believe that. Um... And again, if we're going to quote Rebbe he said, if you're going to live in Chutz Laaretz, outside of Israel, you should view yourself as a soldier who's on duty somewhere else, right? But maybe that's, maybe it's, maybe it's okay to say, like, there's room to have, you know, okay, I'm going to sound like a colonialist, but like, there's room to have, like, our empire and then our stakes outside of the empire so that we can spread our message to the world. And therefore, diaspora Jewry isn't only... But perhaps the Khachila because they're they're I don't know how you could say that from this sort of Amlibadan. I don't know how you could say that. Why? It's sort of like you know bringing something to say, okay, I don't think that everybody has to make Aliyah right away because it's so hard. It's an entire another thing to say, well, you know, based on this, we could say that Lechachila, there are Chabad houses out in the world. That's essentially what you're saying. I'm not sure. Okay, so here also I really think you can square the circle. Okay. Um I think that I've always said, anyone who feel, any Jew who feels for any number of reasons that they can't make Aliyah right now uh, or any time in the foreseeable future, there's probably grounds in, in, in Halacha to support it. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I would never, and I genuinely mean this, I don't never judge anyone else's reason unless that Jew tells me they don't see any reason to come to Israel, in which case they're misunderstanding the Torah. Now, so, I, but I wouldn't say that the existence of diaspora communities is an ideal because I don't think the Torah says that and the end game here is, is Yimot Mashiach when we're all in the land of Israel. Having said that though, diaspora communities are reality. Many people are living in the diaspora and 100% as long as they're there, even if that's not the reason they're there, that's got to be part of their message. And also, let's remember that we live in a world today where people are mobile. Those of us who live in Israel, travel. Johnny's getting on a plane tomorrow. Uh, and even from here, we, we interact with people all over the world on the internet and all sorts of things. This has to be part of our thinking, for sure. And those who are living and dealing with, with uh, you know, people, non-Jews on a daily basis, it should be a, definitely a major part of their thinking. Okay, I, I, I agree. Ruby, you have another way to square your circle, which is um, when, when, or behavior, when you said it was Mamlachat Kohanim V'goy Kadosh, right? So, right? So either way, so like there's two sides to it. But... The truth is that when I think about the Kohanim and the Leviim, right, I think about the model of Shmuel Hanavi, right? Shmuel Hanavi had a place where he lived, right? He lived, right, Kisham Beito, right? He would go back to, right, where he came from. But then he would also travel the entire country in a concentric circle. And that, to me, is how I view the model of the Kohanim and the Leviim, right? Every, every Kohen and Levi has a Mishmeret, Certainly the Kohanim. I, I assume the Levium do too, no? Right? They were divided yes. into, right? So that they have a time of year when they're living in the Mikdash. And when they're not living in the Mikdash, their job is to wander around, Ke'ilu, not have a Nachla, so that they can teach Torah, right? Yoru, what is it? That's what Moshe Rabbeinu says. That's the Levi's job, right? So it's built into the system. Right, it's built in that even the Kohanim and Levim have that dual perspective. Yeah, but Molly, even somewhere. by your analogy, they have a even whole, by your analogy, it's not built into the system that you have whole communities living there and you know working as in marketing executives in the auto industry. You would then say, well, then the Israeli government 
as part of its, its consulate in, I don't know, in San Antonio, Texas, because it has a consulate in San Antonio, Texas, would have a religious arm. And the religious arm would be to promote the spirituality of the Jewish nation to the people of San Antonio. But it's okay, not that we I'm need a Jewish a, community you know, of San Antonio to do that. What's well, okay. So I will, again, you know, kind of poke fun at myself and say, because I it's am a conservative a and not a Democrat, and I don't believe in big government, it doesn't have to be the Israeli, the Israeli consulate that does it. It could be Jews from Israel. Well, the Kohanim with the arm saying? of the official represent, representatives of the Jewish people. I'm the, just saying. The, but again, the Torah okay. didn't say we're supposed to be Kohanim. It said Mamlechet Kohanim. Correct. Meaning, it said a again, kingdom I, of priests. I'm going to take square, Rabbi Iver back to... You didn't square for me. To, I'm still, uh, still circling. One second. So here's Rav Cook. Okay, maybe Rav Cook can square it for you. Rav Cook in Mahalach Idiot Israel says this. He says we need to be a nation where all levels, he uses the words bourgeoisie and proletariat and intelligentsia, intelligentsia, are all serving God to model for the rest of the world that they can also In serve Israel, God. In Israel, 100%. Nation, okay. Uh, okay, but I think it, Rav Kook also believed that he, what, why did he call Merkaz Arav Merkaz Arav? He didn't call it Merkaz Arav. He called it Yeshivat Merkaz. Why? And he he did look, look at the founding of America. They learned me, you have to show, show me. Rev. Cook said yes. I think we're going to have. I will we show need to have you. Official representatives he of communities living in he, That's why he was teaching them how to speak properly so that they could spread in their Eretz message Israel, to the world. He he okay, no. The right, I totally he didn't want to be called. He didn't want Israel to be called. There's some that is known exactly the opposite today. But okay. Whatever. Okay, I want to okay, finish up. That's we got to true, that. but he, that's why he wanted to. But what's his thing? What was okay? Fine. I just want to just. What was his thing called? As opposed to Zionism, what did he call it? He he tried to create an organization, and he used a different word because he wanted because oh, he about this. Right. I forgot. I'm I'm like blanking. Whatever well, it is. Up, well, I want to ask Rabbi, Rabbi Haber one more okay, important question before we I just want to add finish. one more point. One more important question, and, um, and okay. I'd ask you to. to one second. I just want to say one yeah. more point about about the the halacha which you were talking about. And again, I'm going to point you to Rav Kook in Chacham Adif Minavi, right? Where Rav Kook basically says, or Rav Haber says, right, which is if you just have the big ideas. Right, which are maybe the purpose, like the, as you said, the Ishayahu big ideas. We see that it doesn't work. You can't just get up there and start spouting grand ideas, right? We saw that. That was the problem with um, Bayit Rishon, right? You had a lot of Nevi'im wandering around, you know, sp- making beautiful speeches, talking about shining cities on the hill. It didn't work, right? You, you have to bring it down to small details in order to actually change people's lives, right? Tiny habits, atomic habits, whatever you want to say. People need details. However, if you don't understand that the details are meant to be carrying within them those big ideas, then you're missing the point. And halacha is meant to be the vessels in which the big ideas are Oh, I totally are agree with you, but so my point is so much of halacha is inward focus. So much halacha is closing the gates by definition because of the outside threat. You, it's undeniable that halakha does that and okay, develops in that way. But that's, that's another discussion we'll do it on a different podcast. Kohanim can't okay. marry with a lot of, with a, many people Correct. from the other tribes. Forget tribe. that any student of the Mishnah, and you all should be students of the Mishnah, will understand it was a separate class with separate <laughs> rules, especially in Tuma and Tara. Correct. They right. wouldn't touch you. Correct. They would never walk into your house. Correct. But what was their purpose? Their purpose exactly. was to teach you. Their purpose was not to you live to among live themselves. have to live separately be... in order to be an example right. to Okay. Others. Okay. The Rabbi Haber. Very clear. You have to be a leader. You have Rabbi to be a leader. I want to come back to you because you talked about the idea of identity and this is something we had in a private, we talked about in a private conversation. Uh, I, I strongly, like it's, I think it's very hard 
to compare the idea of identity here in Israel to the idea of identity in the Gola. I mean, my experience is the American Jewish community, Johnny is the, is the British Jewish community, but so much of your identity is absorbed from the culture in which you live, i.e., I'm an American, I'm from New York, I grew up in Brooklyn, I'm a Jew. All those things going together, by definition, force you to define your Judaism in a religious kind of way. And that becomes part of your, part of your when I say identity, part of your self-definition at a very early age. And so here you're coming along saying, you know, you really got a little wrong because that American, Brooklyn, you know, whatever, you know, plus Jew, Right? That's incorrect. You're misunderstanding what it means to be a Jew. And I think that's a huge challenge and a huge problem, personally, that I applaud you trying to deal with. But when you get them in Memon Y, or we get them in, this, in a year from Israel, I believe you, it's already too late. That identity has long been formed, and it's very, very hard to unform. So my first question is, A, do you agree with me, and what do you want to do about it? How are you going to fix that? And B, who do you think is your primary audience for Am Levadad? Is it Haredim who don't know who don't read the religious Zionist Torah? Is it the modern Orthodox community? Uh, who, who are you talking to? Who, who in your ideal world did, did you create this for? Okay, so um, first of all, I, I do agree with you about the identity piece. And uh, yes, you and I discussed a few days ago in a different context the idea that there should be a curriculum for uh, you know, maybe for ninth graders or something like that based on broadly speaking, these ideas. I agree. I think it's a great idea. Maybe maybe it's something we can work on. Uh, who's my audience? These videos are not meant for ninth graders. They're meant for adults. Um, but the ideas can be translated. Look, I'd love for this message to be heard by all Jews, and even non-Jews, frankly. Um, but certainly, I think that uh, it's a religious Zionist message, and I would love to move the Haredi community closer to religious Zionism. I'd like to move the non-religious community closer to religious Zionism. Um, Realistically speaking, I'm, I'm hoping at least to reach the religious Zionist community or people who identify with it, and the broader the message can spread, the better. I did try to say everything I could in the videos. In his universe, I, I, I translated everything into English. I said Isaiah, not Yeshayahu, and things like that in the hopes that I can cast a wider net, but uh, we'll have to see. Okay, I think we're going to leave it here. Where can I find these videos? We never mentioned that. How, how do I get there? If, if anybody's still with us at this point, they, they're really they're going to go find them. Uh, the website is called rabbihaber.net. Uh, the specific page, you can get it from the homepage or rabbihaber.net slash amlevadad. Um, I also have a YouTube channel. You can Google, you can search it on YouTube and uh, uh, you can find it also. On, coming to a podcast uh, near like you said, as well. Podcast podcast platforms. is coming Okay, so soon. I want to thank Rabbi Haber for joining us. It's a fascinating discussion. It's like bull RZ. Uh, uh, Homer, and I want to thank you for coming on. I wish you much, much hatzlacha. I have to say personally, I'm just uh, blown away by your passion for this project, the amount of energy, the amount of money you invested in it to try to make it something professional. And halavai that all of us should be so motivated to, very, very to, to promote the values that we think are so dear just for the tovat am Yisrael, la hagdil Torah, la hadira. So I'll give you a shakoach. And, uh, and uh, you know, we discussed this before. Uh, if you're trying to find the paywall, there is no paywall. It's free for the world. So please make sure to share it with your friends. And that's exactly something that we value. And we are all, only too happy to, to, to share and promote on our platform as well. Um, and thank you for giving me this opportunity to get the ideas out and uh, to flesh to fre them out a little bit more in this conversation. Okay. Also. Thanks all to our listeners. You can find us on Facebook, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. I want to thank my son for our music. If you have 
if you have a second, if you can go to Apple Podcasts and give us a review, like, I love RZ Weekly. It's like the best podcast I've ever heard. Something like that. It'll only help spread the word, and it might also be true. I want to thank Rabbi Nimali Brasky, Rabbi Johnny Solomon, Rabbi Alan Haber. Have a great week, everybody.